you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Well, we're going to be looking at our work today, as we do each week, taking this opportunity to unpack what we spend most of our time doing. So is it something just incidental? Is it something we just do to be responsible, where then we can have fun and live out our dreams on a weekend? We're going to be talking about that specifically in today's podcast and more. You know, last week, had a question from somebody. And I got a lot of response to it, and we're going to follow up on it, I think. Well, let me let me just uh, re- refresh you on the question. This came from somebody who said, I'm 60 and I'm unemployed, but I feel like I need more money because my mom is in assisted living. If I start a new business, I feel extreme pressure because I cannot afford to fail at all. I get a lot of questions about failing, how we can avoid failing and yet people look into the lives of extremely successful people and see that almost without exception they failed and usually more than once what do we do with that inconsistency how do we avoid failure and yet expect to end up extremely successful is it a necessary stepping stone to be in great and if so what if your life is trucking along pretty good right now Should you, in fact, initiate failure or disaster in some way so you get it out of the way, so you open the floodgates to what may be your greatest moment? Well, complicated questions, but you know what? Those keep coming up so many times. I think I'm going to perhaps in next week's episode just deal with failure. Certainly, we have a lot of questions about that, but I think I've got some principles that will help us through that. I've got a couple of guys that I'm working with right now who are in the middle of being at the bottom of the ditch. I mean, really at the bottom of the ditch. And I'm scratching my head thinking, how can these guys have known such high levels of success and now be stuck at the bottom. My feeling always was kind of, well, if somebody has ever been at the top, then a failure is just a temporary experience. They're going to bounce back because they know the principles. And yet I think without some foundational things in place in our lives, we can in fact have a failure derail us and get us stuck. Well, I won't go into it in detail here, but I think I'm going to do that. I think perhaps next week's show, I'm just going to de- delve into the idea of failure, how we can certainly not initiate it or bring it on ourselves. It's going to find us, trust me, but how to get through it with our shoulders back and our head held high so we can walk into new seasons of even higher levels of success and not get stuck in what failure may have put us in temporarily. Well, let's look at some of the things we're going to be talking about today. Oh, the places you'll go. Hey, I'll tell you why I'm starting off with that phrase here in a minute. Here's somebody that says, I want to do well at my job, but I don't want to neglect my dream. How do we bring those two together? Dan, it's essential. Is it essential to have a high competitive drive to be a successful entrepreneur? Hmm. I can't envision any one job that encompasses all of who I am and the varied gifts I have. Boy, great question. Can't wait to get to that one. Dan, I'm charting a new path from my comfortable but uninspiring career. 
Should I become a career coach? I'm a pharmacist. Dan, I'm currently working in a position that sucks all the life out of me, leaving me empty with nothing to offer my family when I come home. Wow. Heavy-duty questions, as they always are. If you've got a question, just go to the 48days.com website, click on the podcast link, and you'll see a little box jump up there. You can write your question, or you can click on the speak pipe, little icon there, and just voice your question if you prefer to do it in that way. Well, here's a quotation. This comes from the great esteemed theologian, philosopher, Dr. Seuss, who said, you have brains in your head, you have feet in your shoes, you can steer yourself in any direction you choose. How about that for a quote? There you go. You have brains in your head, you have feet in your shoes, you can steer yourself in any direction you choose. Dr. Seuss, that's our quote for today. Well, let me just remind you, we got some cool things coming up here at the sanctuary. We've got the Innovate Conference coming up here in March. People coming from all over the place. I'm getting a lot of really interesting requests regarding that conference. It's for creative people. It's for innovators, big thinkers, rule breakers, entrepreneurs, artists, musicians, magicians. Anyway, because of that, we seem to have really tapped into uh, an interesting spot for a lot of people. But I'm getting a lot of people who want to creatively earn their way into the event. Now, I already allowed that with a couple of people. I said here in a podcast a few weeks ago that there was a guy who is an aesthetic pruner. That's how he promotes himself. So he takes what are wooded areas and then by pruning and planting turns those into really beautiful areas. And I said, oh my goodness, if he would come down from, he lives up north of Chicago, if he would come down, I'd comp him in to the Innovate Conference And that if he would then spend the next day after that conference, it's on a Thursday, Friday, if he would spend Saturday with me just going around and creating a plan for my property, well, he immediately jumped on that and said, are you serious? I'd love to do that. So he's coming, but uh, we we can't have everybody just showcase their talent in return for being comped into the conference. We love creative kind of propositions. Certainly, I've done a lot of those in the past myself, but we also have to draw the line that we already have a very full agenda and a very limited space. We can't just have people who want to come and showcase their talent. We want you to come, believe me, we want you to come and we'll have plenty of time to talk together and share ideas But uh, just go check out the Innovate Conference and see if there's still room for you to come. And then also the Coaching with Excellence. We've got one more of those, only one more, because the event we're having then in September is only for people who are enrolled in the Coaching Mastery Program. That's a little bit different. That's taking it up a step. Those are for people who are really serious about making coaching their primary focus. So they're enrolled in the Coaching Mastery Program. You can find out details about that at the Coaching with Excellence link as well. That's under live events at 48days.com. And then, of course, I got to mention 48days.net. We continue to just have an explosion of people coming into that. As it grows, it gains more momentum. More people are talking about it finding that this really is a place where they can link arms with other people who are on the same path to success and excellence, and they can find other resources that they would not otherwise have known about. So these amazing conversations are going play, taking place there at any given time. That's in 48days.net. Let's go to some questions. 
Leon from Peyton, Colorado says, I was laid off from my technology job of five years last February. I immediately purchased 48 days to the work you love, began sending out letters, my resume, making calls. I called the president of a firm that manages quasi-municipal special districts. That was something that I would love doing as I serve on the board of this type of district and saw the need for it. She was excited by my call, saying that she had been wanting to open an office in my area for the past few years, but hadn't found the right person. After some discussion, the firm's president decided the timing wasn't right. I was able to get another technology job. Seven months later, the firm's president called me to offer me the position. The next day, I was laid off from my current technology job. Talk about timing. I'm loving it. So that's just a a note of success, Sharon. We like to start off each week with some of those. Thanks, Leon, for that note. What a cool thing to have happened. Applied for a job and actually described the creation of a position the way it sounds. They said the timing wasn't right. You took another job. Seven months later, they called you, said, wow, we want you. And without even having to resign your position, you got laid off the next day. Yep. Timing, that's awesome timing. Vicki from Fort Smith, Arkansas says, thanks for your suggesting response to my question on a recent 48 Days podcast. Now listen to this. Vicki says, I took the suggestion and have moved out of the corporate world that paid only $13 an hour to an independent bookkeeping position that pays per job but averages $25 an hour. I'm also giving music lessons to a few students and now have 20 hours a week to apply to our recording and media business. I feel more motivated than I ever have, and I'm very excited about the future and new opportunities. Thanks for your continued wisdom and incredible networking opportunities. Keep up the good work. May all your endeavors be blessed abundantly. Well, thank you, Vicki. Now, just think about that. She's in a $13 an hour job, and I often talk about how when you move out of that, you ought to be able to increase your income and thus decrease your hours. That's exactly what she described. If she went some, from $15 an hour to $25 an hour, but she's doing project work where she's not working 40 hours a week, how many hours does she have to work in order to duplicate her previous income? Well, it's almost exactly double the per hour. So if she works 20 hours a week now doing that, she's going to maintain her current income, freeing up 20 hours without without diving into, you know, stealing time from family or anything else you want to do 20 hours freed up to then develop her own business. I mean, how cool is that? Well, let me go on here. Darren from Forest Hills, New York says, I have an entrepreneurial spirit. I own a framing shop art gallery for seven years. I owned a framing shop and art gallery for seven years, putting on huge art shows, but we're never able to capitalize on that. I declared bankruptcy and then I took a steady job at a large publishing company in New York city. I created an eBay presence for them for the last nine years. I've been selling off millions of dollars worth of artwork and books. However, I was told by my new supervisor that there's a chance that by the end of the first quarter of 2013, my job will be phased out. There has to be an inventory, an assessment, and then a decision. My question is, is there a way to leverage my current position into another one of this company, or should I plan to move on? I think you should make specific plans for both. I mean, we can't control what happens in one company. So if they do, in fact, decide to shut down, and that's it, it's over, you may not have any way to control that or redirect that. But certainly, if you see an opportunity for them to change what they're doing, for you to change your area of contribution that would allow them to continue, by all means, do that. 
Hickman. That was one of our earlier success stories where he really just described a position they should have. So it's not unusual at all for the best positions to be gotten in that way. Where you see a need, you describe what you could do to fill that need, and they create a position. But also being realistic in what you've described, I would be aggressively putting together a job search. Know what your most marketable skills are and be active in that job search even now. So you don't get caught flat-footed. You say in the first quarter of 2013, this is the end of January. So we're already 60 days from the end of the first quarter. So it's high time that you are doing a job search. So yeah, do both. Do both. Marcus says, I just finished reading your book. I love it. My number one goal is to be a personal trainer and entrepreneur. I'm still working on this, but for the time being, my dream job would be to be a a rehabilitation aide in a hospital, helping people recover from their injuries. I tested your proactive system about how to get a job. When I call and ask these institutes for the name of the person and, and number who does the hiring, and they told me we don't have that info and only take job stuff online. When a company tells you to do this, what do you do? Love your podcast. You keep me pumped. Well, Marcus, thanks for your comments and questions. But don't call and ask who's in charge of hiring. Ask for the person who's in the responsible decision-making position in a particular department that you're interested in. So if you want a position in sales, say, hey, I need to shoot a proposal over um, you know, about our services. Who's the director of your sales department. So get that information, but don't tell them that you're looking for a job. Yep. Companies get so many inquiries about just job seekers who are just randomly seeking jobs. Yeah, they are pretty skilled at just redirecting your stonewall and you to make it difficult to ever get in at all. So don't do that. Now, if you if you have, you said you read my book, if you, if you read 48 Days to the Work You Love, I lay that out. You do not just randomly ask for a human resource director or head of personnel. Those are death tolls to job seekers. Find out who is actually making decisions in a department or division that you'd want to be involved in. And if ever in question, go high. So in a small, in a company of 50 employees, I mean, it's no problem to go to the CEO or owner. I mean, go there. They can always redirect you, but just start there, but be connecting with decision makers. Don't tell them yeah, what I'm really doing is looking for a job. Get the name of the person who you know would be able to make a decision, then have your contact go there. That introduction letter, cover letter, resume, and phone call, that's where you want it to go. Billy from Atlanta says, have you read any sports books by coaches or athletes that have inspired you? I've read a few. I'm not really drawn. uh, I'm not really a sports guy, so I'm not really drawn to those. Like I haven't read Tim Tebow's book and I haven't read you know, all the athletes that do put books out there. Most of the time, it's just kind of a their story. But I have read, well, I read like Joe Gibbs books. I mean, he is more than just a, a sports figure. He's a solid business guy. One I, that does come to mind is Sacred Hoops by Phil Jackson, um, former coach of the Los Angeles Lakers. Sacred Hoops. That one I really loved. I've gone back and reread that several times. It's much more about attitude, philosophy, integrity, and character than it is about basketball. But uh, that would be an example of one. David from Columbia, South Carolina. 
I have a very entrepreneurial spirit, and I recently took a sales job that gives me a lot of the freedom I crave, unlike the jobs I've had in the past that overly micromanage. It's a good sales job in telecommunications. It has high earnings potential. After reading 48 Days, I found that my passion is in physical fitness and exercise, and my ultimate goal is to own a CrossFit gym. I want to do a good job where I am, but I don't want to neglect my dream of owning a CrossFit gym. Help. Well, if you recently took a job in sales, it gives you a lot of opportunity and freedom, and it's something you really like. Don't burn any bridges. I mean, if you want to have a CrossFit gym, that's a very entrepreneurial, capital-intensive kind of thing to do. What I would encourage you to do is keep the job that you have and perhaps get an opportunity as a personal trainer through one of your local health and fitness clubs where you can go in evenings or weekends, meet with people, build your reputation as a trainer. And then when you have accumulated because of your great job that you've got now with high income potential, I mean, sock aside fifty, sixty thousand $60,000 to give yourself a little cushion as you continue to explore what would be required to open your own gym. But don't just quit a job where then you are immediately dependent on the gym for your total income. That's not a good plan. Transition into it by establishing yourself as a trainer, a person who can be trusted, who has credibility in that arena first. While you are currently working your job. Heath from Huntington Beach, California. Dan, I want to thank you for everything you do, the positive impact you and your podcast have had in my life. I just finished up my MBA with a focus on organizational leadership, and I work as a soccer coach in several capacities. I coach youth teams, youth camps, a high school team, and assist at the college level. While I'm 100% positive that coaching is my calling, I am not yet making the money I would like to. Now that I've finished grad school, I have the time to start reading for pleasure again. I can only afford... One of your books at the moment was wondering which book you would recommend. Thank you. And I look forward to more great podcasts. If you want to be a coach and you're interested in how to make money doing that, the book I'm going to recommend is not even one of my own. I mean, in all honesty, I don't go into in my books that specifically about how to make money in coaching. What I would recommend you do is get Alan Weiss's book, Million Dollar Coaching build a world-class practice by helping others succeed. Alan Weiss, W-E-I-S-S. Just go to Amazon, look it up, Million Dollar Coaching, it'll blow your mind. Alan's really blunt, a little irreverent, sarcastic, but great reading, and he really blows open the idea of how to be successful in coaching, how to make a lot of money. I've used a lot of his principles Years back when he was writing Million Dollar Consulting as his primary book that he updated every couple years, but now he has this Million Dollar Coaching. It is really a blast. Eric from Chicago says, Dan, I'm at the point with my website, HarmonyInsights.com, where I'm beginning to consider the benefits of maintaining a blog. My experience, however, has been more with newsletters. How should a blog be considered different from a newsletter? And how do I get past feeling awkward about asking people to sign up for two separate electronic communication vehicles? Thanks, as always, for your valuable insight, Eric. Well, thanks for your question, Eric. You've got a newsletter. Now you're starting a blog. How do you get people to sign up for both? You don't. Here's what I've discovered. I started a newsletter back in August of 2000. I mean, I've talked down here about that, you know, started with 67 
email names that I had, told them if I liked it, if they liked it, to pass it on. If they didn't, just let me know. I'd take them off the list. But anyway, we've had over 130,000 people now sign up for that little newsletter. So it's grown nicely. However, about four years ago, I started blogging, just as you're describing. And I thought, wow, my newsletter subscribers have really slowed down. I wonder if that's because they're also subscribing to the blog. Ooh, about the same time I started doing podcasting. And I thought, now, wow, I've got to really scramble to come up with unique content for the newsletter, for the blog, for the podcast, for speaking that I do. So we did a couple surveys, which we do readily to our people. If you've been getting a newsletter, you know, we just shoot surveys out consistently. Tell us, give us your feedback. Here's what I thought. I thought, well, maybe the newsletter is kind of old technology. We'll just move people to the blog and the podcast. We were having big numbers there. You know, the podcast numbers were approaching a hundred thousand really quickly. And I thought, well, maybe we don't need the newsletter anymore. We sent that out. Newsletter readers went ballistic. They said, no, 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 no. We want the newsletter. We read the newsletter. That's the only thing we do. We don't read your blog. We don't listen to your podcast. We don't care about those. We just like the newsletter. And what we discovered is those are really different audiences. They're separate audiences. All you're doing is giving people a different format to get your information. Allow that. Get, this, is, this is how we can do really well if we understand repurposing content. So you can repurpose content. And I'll be real honest about what I do with a couple combinations. I blog every day. So I blog Monday through Friday. On Thursday, I go back and scan the most popular blog posts from the last couple weeks. And I pull those together. It takes me about 10 minutes to put my newsletter together because I pull three blogs just as they were put out as blogs in for the newsletter content. I add a humor piece, usually some quotations. We update on upcoming events and boom, that's a newsletter. So it's the same content. Do I have people complaining about that? Gee, I read that in your blog. Now I read it in your newsletter. Gee, I heard it in your podcast. No, it just, I never hear that. Never hear that. So I use a lot of the same content. Now, the, the content that seems to stand alone more than anything are the questions you all ask for the podcast. That does stand alone more. And I use those as kind of a, a sacred area. There's somehow seems to be a deeper connection with those of you listening to the podcast. You ask questions. I answer those. I don't repurpose that a whole lot. Now, once in a while, I'll take something that is a theme, like the theme of failure, and I'll pull it out and I'll write a blog on it or do a newsletter, or write an article for a magazine. Certainly some of that content is initiated by questions you as a podcasters, podcast listeners ask. But yeah, we're repurposing content. So don't worry about how to convince them to sign up for both. Don't. D just repurpose content. Know that you're establishing different audiences as you go. Well, hey, just catch my breath a minute here. We're about halfway finished already. Just to remind you, this is Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. We're taking questions here, real-life questions. If you've got one you want to submit, just go to the 48days.com site. Click on the podcast link. You'll see a little box open up there where you can ask your question. Or you can click on the speak pipe 
icon and just verbally give your question if you'd prefer it to do it then that way. Andrew says, now this is an interesting question. Andrew from Cincinnati, Dan, is it essential to have a high competitive drive to be a successful entrepreneur? I dream of starting my own business, but fear my type B personality will get in the way of my success. For that reason, I get cold feet at the idea of taking the plunge with self-employment. Is my personality something to be overcome or could it possibly be used to my advantage? Would love to hear your thoughts. Thanks for all you do. I enjoy listening to the podcast each week and hearing your insights to shake our mentality about work and business. Andrew, well, thanks for your question, Andrew. All right. Do you have to be a high competitive driver, aggressive go-getter, Donald Trump, Ted Turner kind of personality in order to be successful as an entrepreneur? Absolutely not. Now, you don't have to be that. I'm, I'm going to tell you what you do have to be. But as we talk about personality styles and you describe yourself as not a type A, that hard drive and go getter, but more a type B, more introspective, reflective, perhaps even shy or introverted. Can that kind of a person be an entrepreneur? Absolutely. In today's environment, because you can have something where you're making a quarter million dollars a year where you are selling, selling, selling. It's just ka-ching, ka-ching, ka-ching. But guess what? In a sales process where you never have to see or talk to the customer. When we talk about being that hard driving entrepreneur, we're usually talking about somebody that can go out here knocking on doors at seven o'clock at night, right at dinner time, selling vacuum cleaners. Well, you know, you know nine out of 10 doors are going to get slammed in their face or somebody's going to tell them what they're, where they can put that vacuum cleaner. Don't come back and disturb me during dinner time with my family. A hard driving entrepreneur doesn't care because he knows if he can get that one person out of 10 to buy and he's going to make a thousand bucks and bring it on. Just give me the nine quickly. I can handle those no's, no big deal. With your personality, you're going to be indicating that that would make you nauseous to think about doing that. But can you have a sales model for an entrepreneurial business that doesn't require that kind of selling? Sure, absolutely. So just make sure the selling model fits you. If you want to look at a model, I mean, go to 48days.com and just, just browse around a little bit there. You're going to see a whole lot of opportunities to spend your money. And trust me, a whole lot of people do that every day. In the time that I've been speaking here in this podcast, there's been a whole lot of deposits made in my bank account. I think that's a really cool thing. That's because systems are set in place where people can go and browse and get information, talk to other people, see testimonials, hear other people describe what happened to them. I mean, all of that, make their decisions, pull out their credit card, put things in their shopping cart, and it's a done deal and products are on their way without me ever talking to them at all. Now that's very specifically because I want things to work on their own, not requiring my personal time. So it has more to do with that than it does personality style. Let me tell you what is essential though. And I go over these in no more dreaded Mondays. Here are the five predictors of success. So you ask yourself, Andrew, do you have these five predictors of success? You can have any kind of personality style and have these, but if you don't have any of these, I mean, if you don't have even one of these are missing, it'll be challenging for you. Here's what I consider the five predictors of success. Again, this comes from, I think maybe chapter four or something in, in no more dreaded Mondays. If you have that, you can reference it. Number one, passion. Two, determination. Three, 
talent. Four, self-discipline. Five, faith. Now, those you do have to have, but those are not relative to your personality. You can be a type B personality and still have passion, determination, talent, self-discipline, and faith. You can be very outgoing, aggressive, type A personality and have passion, determination, talent, self-discipline, and faith. So it's not dependent on personality. You don't have to remake your personality at all. No, 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 no. Don't do that. You'll end up frustrating yourself and everybody around you. Embrace how God has wired you in terms of your personality, but then make sure that you do have those five predictors and you can go on to extraordinary success. Dennis from Houston. Dan, since reading No More Mondays three years ago, I've been on a quest to integrate its principles into my life to become self-reliant. I decided to to deepen my software development skills by creating an Android app. Now, I have two products in the Android marketplace with few ideas on how to promote sales. I tried reaching out to bloggers, offering a popular Amazon ebook blogger my development skills, and seeking a retailer of printed books to bundle one app with sales. None of this is translated into income or feedback. Here's my question. Having reached and expanded your presence in the self-employment marketplace, what advice do you have for marketplace newcomers to help grow awareness of their product? And then you've got a link to your app. So I did check out your app. You got one for uh, systematized reading of the Bible and then just for one for reading in general. Here's how my advice. You cannot have an app at the forefront of your business. You can't lead with an app and think that you're going to have a successful business. That would be really rare. Are there exceptions? Yes, I know. Angry Birds, you know, there's a couple out there, but there's, millions of apps that are out there. Most of them are free. A lot of them have had value, have value to get somebody to pay for one is a real tricky kind of thing, but here's what you have to do. You have to be an expert in this space. You have to be known by doing other things like blogging, podcasting, writing newsletters, speaking, coaching, consulting. I think you have to be known for something. And then the app is just one of the resources that you offer. But I think you're going to have a real continued difficult time to just lead with it. Now, let me give you another example. We have a guy in 48days.net, Dan Waller. I had never met him, never heard of him. And I get an email. This is a couple of years ago. I get an email from him that says, you really ought to have a 48 days app. Here's one that I've put together. I've created. See what you think. See if you think it has value. When I looked at it, I was blown away. It had everything I wanted. It had update for the blog, the podcast. It had the full 48-day schedule. It has a functionality so we can put in there anything we want to. So when somebody opens it, it scrolls that we've got an upcoming event or a product sale. It had everything. He did that without ever contacting me, ever talking to me in advance. Now, what I did is I said, now here's how that might have gone. I mean, recognize that in a normal situation, I could have said, well, geez, dude, everything you've got in there is proprietary information. Now you can't just take that and put that out there. That's mine. So thanks for doing that. You know, it's mine. Or I could say, you know, you, you stop, you can't do anything. Well, that's not, that's not the Dan Miller approach. I mean, I believe in abundance, not scarcity. I said, man, this is cool. This is awesome. Are you serious? I put him on our advisory team 
in 48days.net because of the work that he had done. I said, I want to promote the fire out of this. Now it's $1.99. Where do you think I wanted the money to go for that? This is all my information. This is all proprietary 48 days information and it is the 48 days app. I said, out of that $1.99, Dan, I want zero. I want you to get it all. He did the work. I thought it was only reasonable that he be rewarded for that, even though his only marketing for that is through us because he it's under my umbrella, the 48 days umbrella. I just thought it was a fun thing to do. I hope he sells a million of them. I ought to check in with him. I know he sold a whole lot of them at $1.99 and I'm delighted that he's done that. So you might, if you can do that, if you can somehow structure your app, so it's a part of an ongoing established organization. So if Bible Gateway, as an example, is going to promote your app through their network, then you have your marketing done. But for you to take the apps that you have and go to the marketplace yourself without some kind of a platform already established, I don't think it'll ever generate enough money to, to make it worthwhile for you to do that. It has to be a small part of something else that's going on. Ty from Nashville I'm 26 years old, currently working as a web developer while I'm good at my craft and enjoy technology. I don't feel like I've discovered my calling. I have so many other interests, gifts, and passions that don't fit into my employment. I enjoy writing in general and reading about numerous topics, theology, psychology, relationships, business, philosophy, etc. I also have a deep connection to music, both listening and songwriting. Now listen to this sentence. Again, Ty from Nashville. Ty says, I can't envision any one job that can encompass all of who I am and the varied gifts I have. And I feel like I will be restless until I do. How can I find direction and vocation when I feel so multifaceted and even gifted in diverging areas? Thanks for any insight. Now, the key is in that sentence. Let me reread that sentence. I can't envision any one job that can encompass all of who I am and the varied gifts I have. Ty, I can't either. I can't, I mean, that, I mean, I, that's really easy for me to identify with. I can't envision any one job, business, career that can encompass all of who I am and the varied gifts I have. My goodness, that would be narrow to try to compress everything that I know about myself, as you're saying here into what you do in a job. Keep in mind, a job is simply one tool for successful, fulfilling, meaningful life. Don't expect that much of any job, career, or business. Life is full of much more than what we happen to do in our work or what we do to create income. Now, that being said, don't ignore all those things you know about yourself. Just integrate them. Be that intentional about every area of your life, not just your work. So if you are interested in philosophy, theology, psychology, my goodness, make that part of your personal development. You know, read 12 great books in those areas this next year. It'll increase your grasp of those concepts and understanding and being conversant with other people dramatically. I mean, go take a couple courses in that area. But that doesn't mean that you have to bring those areas of interest into what you do daily as part of your job or business. There are tons of things that I'm interested in that I invest a lot of time in that have nothing to do with my business directly. Now, when I talk about you know, the, the 
Mishner quote that I like so much about, you know, not separating work and play. I mean, there's a lot of things that I do that in some way are tied to my business. I mean, if you catch me on um, Saturday afternoon, sitting there reading the latest issue of Success Magazine, am I working or playing? Well, I would do that no matter what I was doing. If I was selling cars, I would be wanting to read that magazine. I mean, if I'm painting houses, I would want to read that magazine because it's part of personal development. Does that personal development reflect back in and somehow impact the work that I do? Absolutely. So yeah, there are ways you can integrate those, but don't, don't, don't try to take everything you know about yourself and find one job that blends them all. It'll never happen. If it is, you're thinking too small. If it is, you're narrowing down your life too much. You don't want that. Just be intentional about success in all areas of your life and you can integrate all those things you know about yourself. Now, it may seem artificial to choose one from which you then decide you're going to generate income. I mean, I've done that many, many times during the course of my life where I've focused in on one and said, well, I'm going to do this for the next two years. It didn't mean that that was my dream job. It encompassed everything that I ever wanted to do. No, it was just a reasonable vehicle for keeping me on track with what my bigger life goals are anyway. But I've never, uh, sometimes I, I have to go back and clarify. I think that I, I may present the idea of work or business being too all important in what we do. If you watch me in my own life, you realize, you know, how casual I am about the things that I do business wise. Now, I, I don't mean that I'm sloppy. I don't mean that I'm not strategic and intentional, but I mean, if you saw the time that I spend doing other things that are seemingly unconnected with my business, you may think, well, geez, Dan, what if you have got an opportunity to coach three more people this month at the fees that you can get, why aren't you doing that instead of you know, taking your granddaughters to the park for the afternoon. Well, that's part of having a balanced life. That's part of doing multiple things that I enjoy. It's not all just about making money. So give yourself the freedom to do that. Great question. Eric from Medina, Ohio. I'm charting a new path from my comfortable but uninspiring career. I ought to start over. I blundered that. I want you to hear this as it's written. I'm charting a new path from my comfortable but uninspiring career. And I'd like to hear your thoughts on which is better. Should I focus on identifying and using my strengths or work on overcoming my weaknesses? You know, I'm going to just stop there. There's more to Eric's question, but that's really the essence. Should I focus on identifying and using my strengths or work on overcoming my weaknesses? Now, this is a real, there's a lot of debate on this. If you take martial arts, they're going to identify your weaknesses and you start working on that. You may work for three years on your weaknesses. That's not really the approach that I take for other applications. Maybe that is kind of a standalone. And there are certainly times when we want to improve areas of weakness. But as I tell people, you know, in my business, there are probably 20, 25 things that need to be done. I probably do two or three of those pretty well. Guess where I spend all my time in those two or three areas. I don't spend time trying to become better in those things I don't understand. So I have bookkeeper and web designers and graphic designers and all those. Those are areas that I don't do well at all. I don't spend time there trying to become better. I just link arms with people whose skills surpass my own there so I can stay really focused on what I do well. Let me read you 
this is out of No More Mondays as well, out of chapter 10, where I cite one of the Chaucer fables. Don't be a goose. Here, here it is. Let me just read it. You'll understand how it applies. Should I focus on my strengths or should I develop my weaknesses? In a Chaucer fable, a grazing goose found herself annoyed by a horse who was eating nearby. In hissing accents, the goose addressed the horse. I am certainly a more noble and perfect creature than you, for the whole range and extent of your abilities is confined to one element. I can walk upon the ground as you do. I have besides wings with which I can rise myself in the air. And when I please, I can sport on ponds and lakes and refresh myself in the cool waters. I enjoy the different powers of a bird, a fish, and a horse. The horse, with seasoned wisdom, replied, It is true you inhabit three elements, but you make no very distinguishing figure in any of them. You fly, indeed, but your flight is so heavy and clumsy that you have no right to put yourself on a level with the lark or the swallow. You can swim on the surface of the waters, but you cannot live in them as fishes do. You cannot find your food in that element, nor glide smoothly along the bottom of the waves. And when you walk, or rather waddle, upon the ground with your broad feet and your long neck stretched out, hissing at everyone who passes you by, you bring upon yourself the derision of all beholders. I confess that I am formed to move upon the ground, but how graceful is my make! How great my strength! How astonishing my speed! I had much rather be confined to one element and be admired in that than be a goose in all. Okay. That's the fable. But that sounds like a lot of people I know. They try to be good at marketing, computers, financial planning, supervising, administration, selling, rather than focusing on one or two areas of excellence. My advice is find the area where you run like the wind with few competitors. Then you will rise above mediocrity and experience uncommon success. And I see this a lot where people just spend years working on their weaknesses. Here's the formula that I have in No More Mondays. Let me see here. Eric, I'll tell you what, I'm going to send you a copy of No More Dreaded Mondays because this is so clearly laid out in there. In chapter 10 of No More Dreaded Mondays, I talk about how to handle this idea of do you work on your strengths or develop your weaknesses. I'll send you a copy of that to Medina, Ohio. Get your address here. Here's what I recommend. I think it's better to focus on your unique skills and do them with excellence than end up performing at a mediocre level in several skills. So use this rule of thumb. Work where you're strongest 80% of the time. Work where you're learning 15% of the time. Work where you're weak 5% of the time. Now that may be different than what you've heard. That's my recommendation. I also have seen that with people like Brian Tracy and Zig Ziglar and John Maxwell and his leadership material. Work where you're strongest 80% of the time. Work where you're learning 15% of the time. Work where you're weak 5% of the time. That gives you a formula. I hope that's helpful. Renee from Norcross, Georgia. Dan, thanks for your podcast. Many aspects of your work. I've been a chaplain in hospital settings for a few years mostly enjoying my work with addicts and alcoholics. I left and after several years, I'm preparing to start a coaching business, including a focus on spirituality. Although I'm rooted in a Christian denomination, I mostly enjoy talking about spirituality in ways stripped of doctrinal language. 
and I wouldn't consider myself a spiritual director. Please recommend some life coaches that I might follow, internet and books, who are strong in some aspects of spirituality, and please give me any quick advice that might come to mind. I want to get a better idea of how I can use my competencies and interest within a model of life coaching and working with clients toward goals instead of a model of care or pastoral counseling. Well, that is a really interesting question. I have dealt with this for years. Being identified as someone with a Christian framework, Christians are notorious for making quick judgments. I mean, I get criticized every day of my life by Christians for being somehow off track theologically. This morning, I listened to Mike Hyatt's latest podcast, This Is Your Life, podcast I listen to every week. He talked about keeping a journal. He had a lady ask, she said, well, is it really Christian to keep a journal? Isn't that some just new age trick of self-exploration? Oh my gosh, I wanted to cry. Is journaling just some new age trick of self-exploration? I promote introspection, looking at who we are. Yes, there are Christians who really cringe at that, thinking, oh no, if we look at ourselves, you know, we need to just ignore who we are, ignore who we are totally, and just be who God wants us to be. Now, that's a contradiction in terms. I don't know who God wants me to be without looking at who he created me as I am already. Now, if that's weak theology, I apologize, but I've got to stay there. I can't imagine being the person God wants us to be without taking a lot of time to look inward first. I mean, I tell people 85% of the process is looking inward first. But there are going to be a lot of people who cringe against that. When I talk about setting goals, there are a lot of Christians who say, oh no, I don't want to set goals. I don't want to in any way supersede the daily leading of God in my life. So I'm just going to get up every morning as a fresh, clean slate and just kind of try to figure out what he wants me to do that day. And thus they live lives at the bottom of the barrel. They struggle financially. They struggle in relationships. They never start anything that has any kind of success at all. I mean, that's where they stay because they resist. Oh, no, I'm not going to set any goals. Well, I think you can't deal with that. Well, anyway, back to Renee's question. Let me give you some resources that I think will help you for coaching. Christian Coaching by Gary Collins is kind of the encyclopedia for even if you want to have any kind of Christian framework for your coaching. So there's that. Daniel Harkabay's book, Becoming a Coaching Leader, I would recommend. I would recommend Gary Moon, Spiritual Direction and Care of the Souls. Now, I'm going to recommend a couple other people, too, and some of you are going to resist this. I read everything Deepak Chopra writes. He is one of the most brilliant people I've ever encountered in history. His insights spiritually go beyond the little narrow fences we create with Christianity. I want to have exposure to that whole thing. Marianne Williamson is another one whose books I devour. I think she's amazing. So if you really want to do what you're talking about here, I would include authors like that. And you can access their information a lot of ways, certainly online um, in books that they've written on seminars that they do. I mean, all those people I talked about are still very much alive and well and active in the coaching arena. You can learn from them. I certainly study people from a broad array of perspectives 
to help me be more effective in the coaching that I do. Well, we're right at the end of our time. Hey, again, I want to thank you for being part of this community. This is a, a community in which the interactions amaze me every day. There are thousands of conversations going on all the time in 48days.net as an example that I'm not a direct part of, but there are people who have been connected under that umbrella and now are helping each other. We're having books that are being published, new businesses that are being started. I it, This week I got, it was just a, a run on books and gifts that I've received. Got a beautiful bird feeder from Rob Clinton that I absolutely appreciate. I have it hanging right outside my window. Aaron Casey sent me a canister that says on the side, Papa Treats, because she heard me speak at Kent Julian's boot camp in Atlanta recently. And I referred to the little peppermint candies that we include in all the orders going out of 48 days as Papa Treats. My granddaughters come running in my office because I always have a, a little container of those. Aaron took the time to have that put on a canister, Papa Treats. I mean, the things that people do to remind me that this is way more about relationships than it is just about technology or business. I mean, one of the principles I really believe is take care of your relationships and the money will take care of itself. So the relationships that are being forged here, just keep me with my mouth hanging open day after day. But thanks for being part of this community. You know, Check us out at 48days.net. If you're not involved there, let us know what we can do to help you on your path. Just be convinced that we're all in this together this is a great opportunity right here at the beginning of the year doesn't matter what time it is really but it's a reminder we're at a new beginning what a wonderful time to be finding or creating work that is in fact meaningful purposeful and profitable we don't have to compromise it can be all of those things if we really are looking at how god has prepared and positioned us for this amazing time in history. 